Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of National Fire Radio from our brand new studio. Robert, here we are, bud. It's good to be back. That's what I have to say. It is good to be back. We took a long hiatus, and before we get to, uh, to our guest over here, Dave uh, Lenart from uh, Connecticut. Dave, thanks for joining us, but this is, uh, this is one of our first times back recording again in person since the big COVID. Yeah, it, it seems like anywhere you go, that's the, the way it is now. We were doing interviews and online segments, Zooms and, and conference calls, and man, it just doesn't have the same power. When you, when you sit in the same room as the person you're interviewing, or Rob and I just sitting across from each other, not that we took time off from each other during COVID, because we didn't. I saw more of you than I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Likewise. But you don't get the same quality interview. And I think, you know, not to take anything away from other platforms that do the Zoom and the, the video conferencing and talking to guys o- across the country, COVID has normalized it. But I think if we're going to do it, sound, the video content, and then the emotion needs to be there. You still need to capture that. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, we did a lot of training via Zoom. Yeah. And, and our, our, you know, membership meetings, our training, we brought in, you know, some Nick Esposito, Pete Morato, uh, Timmy Collette. We brought in a lot of speakers but it, it it doesn't have the same effect it, it, it's it certainly doesn't yeah. right but it's it's making making do with what we could do at the time right right we had it's what we had to do well look i always say the other day my wife and i we were upstairs in the laundry room and i looked over and saw like three ziploc bags full of masks and i said like what are we doing are we having like a ceremony where we burn them are we keeping them to give to our grandkids like what are we doing you need them, them for monkeypox, man right well yeah here we go <laughs> no but anyway well listen dave thanks for joining us uh you know rob and i are very excited to be back in doing this in person and you are our first interview back in our studio space and um who are you talking to me it's right here <laughs> I'm getting directions from the boss already, Dave. I apologize, man. First time back in the studio, and it's like I haven't been here before. So Why we give Seb authority. Se- we need to give Seb like a booming microphone from the back. Yeah, where it's like boom, boom, guys, you're not doing it right. The sound. Sorry, Seb. We apologize. Dave Lenart, thanks for joining us, brother. Uh, absolute honor to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. We have a lot of mutual friends. And that's kind of how your name came into the mix of, of grabbing you and, and getting you on the show with us. And so I want to welcome you. Um, a little background on you. You are the fire chief of Derby, Connecticut, which is a volunteer department. Yes. Uh, also a career lieutenant with the Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department. Yes. Currently serving as the shift safety officer. Yes. Yep. There's a lot packaged up here. And, and I know just from doing my homework, we get the brief bio from our guests and so on. We just went over it before the show started. But... You have a long-standing history and tradition within the fire service, especially in your, your area, Derby, Connecticut, Bridgeport, et cetera. Give me a little bit of background, man. I mean, here you are, you know, as a career firefighter with deep volunteer roots as well. Um, and I know that your family is very important to you in the legacy and lineage coming up through the fire service. So from very early on, I have to think you were very much exposed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was normal for, you know, birthday parties, uh, family events to empty out when the tone went in. I love that. Uh, and really, it's, it's you know, this isn't our first pandemic. This isn't our, it wouldn't be our first world war. It wouldn't be, uh, my, my great-grandfather actually started in the volunteer fire department around 1910 in Derby. Wow. And uh, he worked his way up to being fire chief uh, 100 years ago. And, so uh, 112, 100 and, uh, yeah, 112 yeah, but a, years. 112 in- years. So that's a that's a long legacy of a volunteer fire department to begin with. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's exciting because you know we're we're still in the same volunteer firehouse. We're still, oh, that's cool. you know, yeah, in you know my parents still live in the same neighborhood that when the family came over in the late 1800s from Ireland, that they settled in. So and, and there's not much of that left nowadays. You know, it, it, it's it's you know the way the world everyone moves around and and it, it started with my great grandfather and then uh, 1939 my grandfather graduated high school and he was working as a newspaper reporter and the paper was located next door to the firehouse. So his father said to him, hey, since you know, you're working next door, why don't you start working on the firehouse too? Sure. So he joined. Uh, you know, he spent a couple of years just being a volunteer fireman, and then the war broke out. And when he was in uh, Newport at the Naval Yard, he had a chance to become a shipboard firefighting instructor. So that, uh, that led to, when the, when the war was over, that led to him having a lot of knowledge about what is the modern fire service. And obviously the Navy usually being a, a forefront of firefighting technology he had yeah. just he had just been instructing all that so upon coming home from the war the mayor said to him hey you know we have an open assistant fire chief position would you take it and at the time he said the fire department was pretty decimated i mean most of the the you know younger men had been fighting the war yeah the, the scrap metal drives they a lot of the, the apparatus was outdated the, the training was terrible so he was like yeah and I have to believe that was commonplace all over I, i'm sure i mean it was yeah. it was just how it was after the war yeah right well, and and I got to say, like, yep. just knowing the history, like knowing Brannigan uh, and from his experience, like really the American Fire Service uh, post-World War II was the U.S. Navy. Like they had developed these tactics and they truly learned them in combat of how to co combat shipboard firefighters. And they started bleeding that over, especially as they went back home into their community fire departments. And it seems like that's exactly what happened with your family. Yeah. And, and uh from there, he, he decided training was going to be a big factor, so he convinced the town fathers to give him some land at the dump, and they created a, a training school. He uh, went down to the New Haven Fire Training School and, and started meeting some of their instructors to, you know, to kind of team up with them and to work with them. And uh, he, he became a very well-known member of the Connecticut Fire Service. He was on the steering committee that formed the Fire Academy and the, uh, the Commission of Fire Prevention and Control in Connecticut. Uh, then in the... the uh, early late 40s early 50s he decided to dabble in ems and uh him and along with another assistant fire chief uh richard kiley they decided to, to start an ambulance corps mm. and uh they they did a big fundraiser which back in 1949 netted them close to about 12 grand uh so they <laughs> a lot of money it, 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 it was and uh, there, there was blackmail involved there was oh, a lot of uh, like small that. town politicking of course. and um with that money uh, they bought an ambulance, and it, it was so that, you know, some of the oddities of the New England Fire Service, the firehouses are all named. So, you know, we belong to the Storm Engine Company, so they fo uh, formed the Storm Ambulance Corps. Yeah. And it was it was the same organization. And then there were some members of the fire department that wanted to start using the funds for the ambulance for other things. And so the, these gentlemen, along with a couple of their friends, quickly incorporated as a separate entity. And it, it caused a little bit of a rift. So as... The fire service, uh, rescue, EMS, hazmat evolved. Uh, the ambulance would be dispatched on all these calls. And when they would call the fire department, the firefighters were kind of a little bitter. That, right. that So they said, you know what, we're, we're not going to, you know, we're not doing this. So uh, they went out and they got a, a surplus Korean, World War, uh, Korean Jeep, a Korean War Jeep, and they outfitted it as a rescue truck. And as everything evolved, in, especially in Derby, the ambulance corps became the provider of EMS and rescue for the city. And the, the, so it's a, 
a, a very odd organization in our area. Well, as you say, too, right? Ambulance, right? So all EMS. But then when you say rescue, rescue is a, a loaded term, right? Could Correct. mean a depends lot of different right, things where, depending where, on where you come from. Yep. But you're talking full rescue services outside of firefighting Correct. duty. So extrication, rope, uh, trench, hazmat, confined space is all done by the ambulance corps. That's so pretty our, wild. You know, our, our ambulance is staffed during the day. The ambulance carries, you know, uh, a small hearse tool to a hooking, uh, hooking can, set of irons, thermal camera. And if, if there's a job, they go in and, and search. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. they so do. Okay. <laughs> wow. So, so okay. It's and a it's an odd, odd system. And then, you know, to over time, like some of the sour grapes went away. So most of the members belong to both organizations. I was going to say, so there is a, there is a crossing the floor Correct. now yeah, that yes. is prevalent, you know, currently – Guys are on both yes. organizations yep. typically. So uh, my, my grandfather was fire chief and then chief of the ambulance corps uh, up until the 80s when my father took that over. So my, my father actually joined the fire department as a ringer for the softball team. And, uh, and, and <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is and, awesome. Uh, and he, he met my mother, you know, my, my grandfather's daughter, and got married. And then, uh, you know, small-town America, if you were popular in the volunteer fire department and you were a hard worker, you usually land some kind of city job in the 100%. 70s. Yeah. So my dad became a cop. Wow, and, okay. Uh, and, then, and then he also took over running the ambulance corps from my grandfather. Uh, and then our generation came along. My, my, I have an older brother, Tommy, and we joined the fire department. We were, uh, under, we were auxiliary members of the department, which were actually under the old civil defense laws. I love that. And uh, at, so at 15 years old, we were required to take a basic 40-hour firefighting course, and we were good to go. I mean, we were, you know, 15 at 15. Years it's, old. It's, it's mind-blowing, and I think now, especially being a safety officer, I think nowadays, yeah. you know, we, we went and fought fires. And it was, it, it was, the, it was great. It was three-quarter boots. It was the old 2A air packs. You know, it was just the end of it. We caught the, the you know, the tail end of it. I'm right and, there with and, you. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, had, I had joined at 18 years of age, and we didn't have a junior program or a CD program or anything like that. So I had to join and, and be a regular member. But we jumped right in, and that was right at the tail end of, uh, for me, in our department, it was back step, it was long coats, uh, and it was uh, fun. Yeah, it was, it, you know, <laughs> it was so much fun. And, and you know, it's funny because then, then we started thinking as we were getting older, like, this is something we're probably going to do as a career. Yeah. So uh, my, my brother got hired first. He's currently a deputy chief in the Greenwich Fire Department. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, sure. yeah, you know, that's, that's big money. Yeah, they don't, they right don't... down on the New York border. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right on the New York border. Right. So, and then uh, several years later, I got hired in Bridgeport. Nice. Uh, so, uh, but then as that was going on, my, my brother became fire chief uh, in Derby and, and ran the department for a couple of years, and he actually handed it off. I became an assistant chief when he left as fire chief. So, uh, you know, like I said, we've been around 112 years-ish and in, in watched our little city. My, my grandfather was uh, involved in the, the, the valley calls the B.F. Goodrich fire, which uh, was one of the largest cases of industrial arson in the United States history. Is that right? Yeah. So it's uh, if when you come into the metropolis of Derby on uh, Route 8, if you look down under the bridge to the left, you'll see a massive vacant. It's now a park. Okay. Uh, but it was, in, it was actually in downtown Shelton. Right. And uh, the the you know the story is that the owners wired the whole place with dynamite, and on March first, nineteen seventy five, they Kaboom. detonated the entire building blocks. No kidding. And uh, and my grandfather was involved in running that, and then my father was uh, ambulance chief during the nineteen eighty five. We had the River Restaurant explosion, which was if you call before you dig now, when you right. dig underground, that's the right. reason you call before you dig. No kidding. So they were they were doing construction in downtown. 
They uh, hit a gas main, didn't know it. It leaked into a restaurant, exploded and killed six people. Uh, I, I think that rescue is one of the, the most amazing uh, technical rescues I think I've heard in the fire service history. And, the, and the, my reasoning behind that is because it was a small-town volunteer fire department that right. had this you know, four-story, ordinary building full of people explode. But there was no, you know, they were never trained for anything like that back then. There was, there was no USAR. There was no, you know, what got them through that was most of the volunteers worked a trade back then. Right, 100%. So the guys were, you know, they were, they were workers. They ran machines. They, they were carpenters. They were, you know, environmental guys. So they, they, their knowledge of the outside industries helped them pull off. Uh, the owner of the restaurant was in a freezer in the basement when it blew, and the freezer acted like a turtle shell. And they, they had to tunnel down while the, you know, the rubble pile was on fire and get him and cut him out and bring him out. And, it, you know, uh, my father was obviously heavily involved in that as running the ambulance corps at the time. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, you know, again, it, it, to me, it's just for the time, it was an incredible effort by a, a group of volunteer firemen that had no business doing something like that. Well, I will say this, listening to your stories, right, just the family lineage and, and so on, but watching your expression when you talk about it, you're very <laughs> proud. Yeah. You're very proud of yeah. your upbringing, right? And, and so I, I think it's incredible because I'm, I'm very passionate about my small town community, too, and being involved. And my family was in, you know, uh, politics within the town. My father was mayor. Uh, he's been a fireman for over 50 years. My two brothers are firemen. I'm a fireman. My mother was on the ambulance corps in my hometown. Like, these are things that are so prevalent in today's fire service about small town pride and i still think it's there right but it, my, my question to you is watching you beam with this pride of of your family and 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 them shaping and being involved in some of the biggest you know incidents in in the town's history and so on the difference between when you came on and today right volunteerism is not dead it's hurting yes but we speak in negatives all the time but you're sitting here today nothing but positives and, and glowing about how good and viable it is. And I love that about you. Talk to me a little bit about the influences when you started outside of your family. You know, you mentioned the, in the eighties during that restaurant explosion that the, you know, they may not have been trained, but everybody was a tradesman at the time. And so they bring special skills to the table. You grew up in the firehouse throughout your lifetime. I remember my influences growing up and the, these different guys that were there. They were just all badass dudes, man. They were just good guys that worked hard and enjoyed being a fireman, right? What did that do to you growing up? Uh, it, it taught us a lot. So, there, you know, our firehouse had that group. And I, I always say in the Derby Fire Department has a tremendous reputation. My, the Storm Engine Company has one. And it was because the guys understood the importance of, of passing the knowledge down. I love that. So, you know, my, my grandfather's generation taught a, a generation of firefighters in the late, mid to late 70s. And, and there's a core group of them. And a lot of them still, you know, belong and volunteer. And, and they were high schoolers when they joined the, the volunteers right. in, the, in the 70s. And, and they, uh, you know... Alan Butch, Pigeon, Mez, uh, you know, my father. Careful, you know, you're going to forget some names. I know, you're gonna I, get I know in trouble. I'm going to forget somebody. Joe, Len, <laughs> you know, Fanukin, the, these guys, they never, it was never about them. The right. minute we joined, it was about us. Yep. And, and I, I say all the time that, you know, we would pull up to a fire and these older guys would be in front of us on the line and they would look back and see us and they would stop and say, no, come up here, take the line. I love that. You know, and they, they never pushed us out of the way. They never... 
you know, but they were always right there if you needed them. And yeah. and it was everything. I, you know, I were going to when we were young, you go to a pin job, and like you got the tool and you're going to work, and they would stand next to you, and and they would never you know, grab it out of your hand. They would, oh, you're doing it wrong. You know, maybe they would point or they would, you know, give you a little gesture to help you. So fast forward then, because today, typically the, the young officer will take the tool out of your hand and Correct. tell you you're doing it wrong. Yep. Or you won't even have the opportunity to get on the tool because they need to be on it. Right. It, it, I think that's one of the, the, the biggest, you know, the volunteer fire service, we've, we've accepted that, you know, I've got to do it because this person's too new or too young. And I, I think it hurts us. It, I it's, agree. It's the standing back and letting, you know, the, the, the experienced guys, and I, now it makes me feel old, right, that I'm putting myself in that category. But those guys, they knew that the only way this was going to continue and the only way that we were going to be as good as we were is if they taught us everything they knew. And it didn't matter, you know, we, we had to learn it. And they let us learn it, and they let us make mistakes, and they let us – they helped us, and they taught us. And, and really, they're the big influence on how – you know. Uh, Again, like not naming names, but I could tell you there's 13 guys that I went to high school with that all belong to the Storms Firehouse that are now career firemen. Wow. And, and <clears throat> without even really thinking. And it's because this group of our, if you want to call them our senior guys, they, they made us love being a fireman so much that we were like, no, we're, we're going to go be firemen. And, I mean, with, uh, we have a career guy in every town from uh, Greenwich to East Haven you know, along the shoreline of Connecticut from the Volunteer Firehouse. And that's like 15 towns coming that's off the line. And, and I bet you all of them still stay in touch if they're not still active. Oh, they're they still, still, yeah. They stay the ma- in touch. The majority of them are still active. Uh, that is, that's where, like, how important, and that's the conversation we need to have is educating our younger officers and chiefs today and even younger senior guys, if you will, that their impact matters that their influence, how they conduct themselves in the firehouse and how they go about their business and teaching others and letting others learn for themselves in a way under their tutelage is incredibly important and impactful. The fact that you guys put out so many career firefighters, I'm proud to say the same thing. Out of my hometown volunteer department, I was one of the guys that didn't go get a career job. I had the opportunities. I didn't because I had a, a viable family business I stayed in. But I watched guy after guy after guy get hired in all these big cities, small cities, but all these career firemen coming out of our volunteer house. And it's a very good feeling for morale and culture to see how many people still credit their upbringing in our volunteer house to put them on a path of, of a career and success. I think it's important, too, you, you, you know, you hit on this before about like how those senior guys would look back and be like, no, get up here, and they would stay with you. And we talk about our generation today not doing that or they feel they have to do this. And I'm thinking to myself, and like we had an incident a couple weeks ago at work where like we did a border alarm, and I was like, guys, take this. You know, I, I, there was volunteer agency, and I passed the tools off to them to start the extrication because as a lieutenant, I don't need to be cutting apart a car, and they need to be doing it and there was some hesitation and it was almost like really and I'm like yeah like because if we don't do that like I always think of a self-sufficient firefighter like the best firefighter I can have is the one where I turn around and go tell him to do something and he's already got it done and he's on to the next thing he's 100 steps ahead yeah. and, and it, we have to teach that like we have and to it's it is difficult I mean I you know obviously I made the transition from firefighter to company officer company officer to chief officer and at each level there's that withdrawal that you have to learn and, uh, you know, at work right now, we promoted a lot of new lieutenants, even in the, uh, the volunteer side. Every January, you have your elections for the, the company officers. And it's like you, 
you've got to tell them like, hey, it, it's not your job anymore to, to be on the line. It's your job to be behind the line. And that that's probably one of the most difficult transitions, even going from company officer to chief officer. I found myself a lot of times, you know, as the incident commander in the building wanting to see what's going on and, and then being like, I, I, I shouldn't be in here. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be yeah. outside. So it it is a difficult transition, but it's one that you've got to make. Why you, don't we? I'm sorry, Rob, but let me just let me just hit on this. Why don't we set ourselves up and our people up for success by putting forth some type of training program that allows for that transition? Well, I think the problem is, and and you know, at this point now, I'm on my eighth year as a, a chief officer in a volunteer department, but the it's the the lack of time with the company officers. So in the metropolis of Derby, our captains and lieutenants are elected every year. Right. And uh, the the chief's positions are actually tested, which is an oddity in a, a volunteer department. Which for, is not uncommon in Connecticut, though, because there are other departments I, that do the I, same. Yeah, we, so we, we have a test that's administered by the State Fire Academy, and then that's how we establish our assistant chiefs. Are there chiefs. interviews, too? Yeah, that's a, it's a written yeah. and then an oral. I've heard about so, this in other other communities, yeah, too. So, But the company officers are elected, and the, pro- the problem becomes... You know, you elect a guy for a lieutenant, and he's lieutenant for a year. And and then he, you know, gets married, has kids, moves away, moves on to something. So it, it's like you're, you you got to – they're taking this massive step of going from, you know, a firefighter to a leadership role, and yet you, you want to train them. But h- how much training can you give them with their available schedule, with the – you know uh, – one of the things I do every year is in December, I bring in uh, a guest speaker for the officers, and it's somebody that can give them kind of more of a motivational pep talk about their role as, you know, a company officer. And fortunately for me, I've I've got the Nick Esposito, I've got the Rich Thodes, sure. I've got them on speed dial, so I can bring them in right. and, and, you know, tell them, hey, can you have a talk with the officers? And it's, it's probably, in my opinion, in the volunteer fire service, the biggest lack of training is officers and then even from there is chief officers as to what their job is and and the easiest part of being an officer as we all know is going to a fire you know fires are the easiest part of our job when you're at a fire it's it's kind of you know you're 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 fully trained for that right the problems are you know when the mayor calls you at two in the morning because this just happened or when the cops call you because this just happened (laughs) and and you know those are the things that you have to make sure that you're equally trained for because those are the things that are are you know more damaging to the department than a poor 100%. performance at a fire. Yep, I agree with you 100%. I mean, the public has no idea. We could pull up and be the worst fire department in the world, but if we spray water in the windows, everyone's going to cheer, everyone's going to clap, they're going to high-five us. But when something administratively goes wrong, it's in the paper, it's on the news, it's all over the place, and, and that's where you really got to you know know what you're doing. And, 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 and for a gentleman like you who has four generations within that fire department, the last thing you want to do is see that reputation or legacy be tarnished by something that happened that could shed a bad light on everything that's been positive for 112 years. Yeah. Gets flushed down a drain with one bad newspaper report. Correct. And it, it, it's just something that a lot of people don't get. And the, and the perception of the volunteer fire department is, is what carries the weight when I walk into City Hall and say, hey, I need a million dollars for new fire apparatus. Right. And the you know on the flip side of that, the municipalities got a yes. We all know volunteerism is declining. You have a lot of members now that actually belong to multiple departments. So, you know that's another thing that in a way helps and hurts us. Where when we get a fire and I call the neighboring town mutual aid, most of their guys are already there. So now I got to call two towns away mutual aid. And when you go to city hall and you try to explain to them the the effects of managing volunteer firefighters, they're so different 
than managing career firefighters. I, I, I can't tell you how many, at this point in my life, how many city administrators, you know, mayors, chiefs of staffs, so I've had a say. I, I have nothing holding over these guys. I right. can't threaten to suspend them. Yeah, I right. can't pay them because they're going to walk away and the, the, the tens of thousands of dollars the city invested in them is gone. So the only way to keep them here is with stuff. And you got to give us the, the good stuff, the stuff that they want to, to keep people coming through the doors. And, and fortunately, we've been in a position where we, we've gotten that support from our city. Yeah, that's good because that, that, that's all, always something that boggled my mind. And when I volunteered in Rhinebeck, the village was very tight with the money. And I was like, you, you do realize what it costs for one career member. It's more than what you budget for for this fire department currently on this Correct. operation. And it was a fight to get, and they've done leaps and bounds. Um, but one of the things I was going to ask you before, when you were talking about that firefighter to company officer, that company officer to chief, you know, and, and they've got to remember to pull back. What are some of the, like, the back pocket tricks of kind of giving them that knowledge to do that? Because I think it's a huge, like you said, the, the fire is the easy part. And, and I, even our training is flawed because our training is always about, hey, this is how you do your incident priorities as a company officer. This is what you're looking at. But that human interaction and, like, you know, dealing with the issues, like what, if you, like, advice for a, a firefighter or a company officer and then maybe, like, a follow-up is a company officer moving on to the next position. Like, what, what is the thing that you've learned in your career and the struggles you've had that you can kind of bring forward and be like, hey, I, don't make this mistake? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is just clear communication. And we, mm. we say everything is, you know, I, I not, not to say, like, follow the book, but it's almost that easy. You know, set your goals, set your expectations, tell your people your goals and expectations, and then manage that. And don't be afraid to tell someone when they're not doing it right or tell someone when you want them to do something different. But because those are the ways that that clear communication, 90% of the problems I've probably had as a company officer were eventually cleared up by, you know, sitting down and having a one-on-one with somebody. Oh, but you got to be willing to do that. Well, yeah. you got to be willing <laughs> to have a spine to confront and to talk to people. I think that is one of the biggest struggles that I think we have in – in society, let alone in the firehouse, where, you know, years and years ago, you know, I asked you that question before between back then and now, right, and the differences and so on. But one of the big differences now, you know, years ago, those guys used to go out in the back parking lot, discuss it, punch it out, come Correct. back in and have a beer. <laughs> now we'll have people hold a grudge and, and they won't come back. Right. Or they won't confront somebody but talk shit for, for months on end and literally is the cancer that destroys us from within. And so we need to set the tone as as chiefs and officers and senior guys, whether it's volunteer career, we need to confront issues. We need to be able to communicate. I think communication, I wrote communication down on my notes here and double underlined it, and now I'm going to circle it. Like communication, I think, is one of the biggest and hardest struggles that we have. Oh, absolutely. And, and the ironic part is in the world we live in today, you have more communication devices. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, that you can get out. And it, it is. It's a lot of times it's, you know, one, one of my companies, uh, very older crowd for the, 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 the department, the membership. And it transitioned almost immediately to a very young, inexperienced crowd. And that included the officers. They, the, you know, the three company officers were very young, very inexperienced. We were having problems with them. I, I had to bring them in and tell them that, look, I, I, I have zero faith in your ability to run a fire. I, I don't want you taking command. And I, I could tell you, I, when I was telling them this, I, I could see it in their faces. They, they I, I, you know, chopped their legs out from under them. And I said, but we're going we're gonna to fix it. You know, we're going to find a way to, to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I 
gave him some names. Give Nick Esposito a call. Give this guy a call. We're going to meet. We're going to run some training. And it, it's been about a year and a half, two years now. And, you know, now they're, they're, they've come so far. And, and we talk about it and we joke about, you know, I'll be like, oh, remember when I told you guys you were no good, you know, and they, they all laugh now. But it, I always say that that was an amazing moment because I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, all I could tell you is I had this company that I, I really had no faith in them. They were very, very inexperienced. I was really worried about like what yeah. was going to happen. Right. And and by telling them that and being honest with them and leveling them, you know, they, they went out and got better. You know, they sought advice from from some of the people that we set them up with. They they did some more training. They they really started thinking better. And now they're they're extremely reliable to me. Well, or you could have buried your head in the sand, not had the conversation with them, and pray that they don't get a fire Correct. when you're not pray. in town, right? Like, and, yeah. and that I think is how a lot of it is done today. Unfortunately, right? Is that you know? Oh God, thank God those guys were there today. You know, like, right. listen, I've had that conversation. And 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 those guys to be, they had a terrible chief. They had a, a, a chief officer well, running their firehouse. Their fault. And I mean, and he was, you know, again, he was he was. Everything you look for in a terrible leader, he was vindictive. He was manipulative. Yeah, he he right. cut him down every chance he got, and and you saw the effects that it had on that firehouse. Yeah, I also have to think though too that as hard as that conversation was, I bet you some of those guys when they left that meeting and drove home that night, there was a sense of relief that came over them and said, "I'm glad I didn't have to say it. I know I'm not comfortable in my abilities if I got put in that front seat that day and I didn't have a command staff in front of me that I got to make those decisions." Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just an important conversation that a lot of us don't have is when you have to admit the truth, and the truth is very hard to swallow. Right. And it, it is. It's it, in the overturn of people and the, the income of, like any part of the fire service, the lack of experience. It's just, how, how do you give guys experience? Well, so how do, we, how do we do that? Yeah. I mean, the modern answers are very, you know, you, boy, you put them through simulators, you put them through training. It's very difficult to do, but I mean, the best teacher is experience. You've got to get them the fires, you got to get them on calls, and you got to, you know, I, I believe in a lot of basics, and I, I, you know, I don't like gimmicks, I don't like th- things like that. I want proven basics. And when you go on calls and you let them run the call, or they walk up to you and say, you know, hey, chief, we can't figure this out, and you look at them and go, okay, figure it out. You know, like I'll, I'm right here, but figure it out. And you've got to let them start understanding their role better and start figuring things out so that they could do it when it is blowing out the windows. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it also you fostering an environment that allows them to make mistakes, but the mistakes can be corrected and learn over time. When you have a management staff and team in place that allows for people to make mistakes yet knows how to help correct them and, and right the wrong that instills those values into your people that lets them believe that they're allowed to work that they're allowed to be themselves and find their way. Correct. And, and, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, too, that I have a tremendous staff. So above me, I have a fire commissioner who uh, was fire chief years ago. He's a little bit older now. Uh, he's a member of uh, one of the USAR teams. He's a st- uh, structural engineer, very, very well respected in the fire service. So even I have someone that I could, you know, look up to and ask. I've got, you know, besides the family, my brother, my father, I can bounce stuff off them. And then the three assistant chiefs under me, uh, Mike, Tommy, and Louie. M- Mike is my administrative guy. and the, the, I always tell Mike his biggest job is to calm me down. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I call him oh, that's, before that's I, I call. That's what I do for Rob. Right, that's what know? I do for Rob. I got to call him and say, hey, calm me right down. There. You know, Tommy's my tech guy. Tommy's very good, you know, with all the technology, with all that stuff. And I've always said for years, because coming up, uh, being chief of the ambulance corps, right below me I've, I've had uh, Louie Alawa. Louie's a lieutenant in the New Haven Fire Department. 
Uh, and we grew up together. He's a little bit older than us, but I, I tell everybody, Louis my warhorse. I, he's served under me as a company officer, as a chief officer, and I, I have him when we have a fire, we have incidents. He, he is my, you know, w when we're in the middle of it, that, that's the guy I got to look to. And, and him and I, and I, I know my mother's going to, you know, shed a tear when I say this, but, you know, Louie, my brother, there's a few of us that, you know, together, when I, I feel like, you know, I, I could do it, we could do anything because that we've been together that long and we know each other that well. And the stereotypical yeah. volunteer firemen, we were in each other's weddings. We were, you know, yeah, but we man, were all there. And so it's so much to that. Yeah, there, there is a lot to it because you do trust those guys, yeah. you know, so much. I am. I'm sitting here. I'm very envious. I mean, like I said, I come from a, a, a very good volunteer culture, but we're we're struggling now more right, than absolutely. ever. We're really feeling the strain on manpower, asking more of our people than we've ever asked because the ranks are thinning and you know and so on. But where I'm headed with this is very much like I sit here and I listen and see the passion that you have about how important it is, and it's not just being a volunteer fireman. I mean, this is your lifestyle. This is who you are. This is what it. The volunteer firehouse shaped your lifestyle and shaped your uh, approach to probably many things in life, which then sent you on to a career of it. Right. So I kind of want to hop in. I mean, as much as Derby sounds amazing, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to, I'd yeah. love to capture the other side of you too, though, is when you put your uniform on and go to work, you know, and, and that is with the bridge city of Bridgeport in Connecticut and um, you know, and so on. So, interesting role that you have there right so you're you're a lieutenant yes but yeah. you're assigned to the safety division correct yeah, so the, uh so i you know i hired in 2007 in bridgeport for most of my career i spent at the wood Ave station which was engine three which at the time was the busiest engine in the city and then i transferred over to the heavy rescue for about three four years before i got made lieutenant and um, before we get deeper, a lot of people don't know a lot of these cities in the Northeast and so on, right, from our listeners. So just give us a rundown of, like, Bridgeport and the type of makeup it is so people can form an opinion in their brain sure. as uh, to what yeah. you're talking about. So uh, Bridgeport's your, your stereotypical old mill, you know, New England city. It's right. uh, a lot of multifamilies, a lot of three woods, triple deckers, whatever we want to call them. You know, the buildings are all an alleyway apart of about three, four feet. And it's a rundown mill city. Vacant, vacant factories, vacant buildings. Uh, very urban, you know, populations on top of each other. Uh, we run two battalions, nine engines, four trucks, the rescue, to, uh, and then the safety officer, a fireboat, and a maintenance division. Got it. Um, so the, the safety officer prior to 2010 was somebody assigned to the training division who would come in whenever there was a working fire or a, a larger incident if they weren't on duty, if it was off hours. Uh, in 2010, we had the double line of duty fatality, and one of the uh, cited problems in the NIOSH report was our safety officer was extremely delayed because that day he was coming from home. Yeah, coming in off duty. Right, right. and uh, it, was a, it was a Saturday, so he was home. He wasn't there. So uh, the city, along with the union, they implemented an on-shift safety officer. So e each of the four shifts, we do the 24-72-hour uh, shift. Each of our four shifts has one assigned safety officer. So you're assigned to the battalion, but you're independently by yourself, and during the day, you work kind of out of this, the, the special services of the training division. So, you know, coming to work in the morning, check my, my truck like everybody else, my equipment, uh, go out, do some training, find the firehouse to see what they're doing from training, kind of piggyback in, that kind of stuff. And then throughout the day, you, you know, go to every work and fire, anything on the highway, anything in the water, uh, obviously Bridgeport, Port City. 
Yeah, and the, anything that the nice thing about the safety officer is you have the carte blanche to go to Absolutely. anything you I want. Was, yeah, I was getting, I was waiting for you to get there. Yeah. You know, I, I I listen to the radio all day, and if I hear something that sounds interesting, Start you know, cheating, I'm gonna, yeah, your way over. I'll take that in, and uh, and and it, it's, I love it. It's a tremendous position. You get to do, you know, so much. I, I enjoy the training aspect of it. I enjoy, you know, you get to work with the command staff. You get to work with the officers and the members. Uh, but and this is not just a clipboard bell cap position so, in the street. I correct. Mean, this is, so, yeah. uh, you know, upon arrival at anything, you know, if there's a fire, I'll do a 360 because uh, it'll get a lot of times chiefs setting up the command post or are unable for whatever reason. So I'll do my 360, go back and report to him face to face. Then I'll find where I want to go. And usually I'll go to the, the first line, to the first nozzleman and kind of just take a look for conditions, see if they're making progress, report back. Uh, hang out there for a few minutes, make sure that they're set, good to go, then usually try to go to the floor above and make sure that the searches are going on and everybody's operating safe, nothing, you know, conditions aren't crazy and uh, and no- nothing's going to kind of sneak up on somebody. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's ironic because I, I hate to say the term because, you know, it's like the safety officer position is like a g- tremendous freelancing position that's there to prevent freelancing. Yeah, but as as funny as that sounds, that's 100% what it is. But that's why that position needs to be given to an individual that can operate on their own and and formulate through experience and knowledge the opinions of what need to be done. Right. And it's tough, you know, and it's it's extremely hard not to to get into it. And especially when, you know, there there are some times where you 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 are in the middle of it with the guys and you're you're and you're making the push and you're right behind them. And and it's hard to, to keep that layer back uh but i would also think too like you're you're going into the see check on that first first line and and, get, and see where they're making progress and like the beauty of it is even as a safety officer you notice that that like you know something as simple as the coupling is caught on the corner of the door you clear that that that's promoting a safer environment correct chasing not, chasing kinks was one of my my biggest yeah. jobs you what, know <laughs> it, what i i think safety officers in a, in a lot of departments is is an older member of the department with the clipboard, and I remember somebody telling me I didn't have gloves on when I was walking up to I, a fire scene. Like, where are we getting I, this wrong? Because right, that is not. I, I tell everyone I'm I'm not the glove in the hood police. You know, that's your company officer. Uh, I, I'm I'm there to make sure, you know, nothing terrible happens on a scale that that nobody saw coming. Take notes, kind of observe conditions, but Do I don't a, think. That the the you know the incident safety officer and, and unfortunately you got to do it a lot of times, but you shouldn't be the glove police, you shouldn't be the hood police, the the eye right. protection police, and, and sometimes you got to be, you don't want to be because you feel kind of at that point like, you know, you're being petty. But it, it's just that that's the problem is it's usually on on our department we have four four of us and we're four, you know, very aggressive, very you know experienced officers that that have that ability to know when when it is to step in and when it is to stay out. Do you have uh, an example that you can think of or a couple examples um, if you got more that where this active I, I would say the aggressive safety officer has maybe prevented something maybe not but like a good example of you being like I, hey like, <laughs> yeah I, I it's it's kind of you know funny we had a uh, we had a, a big three wood go last spring and uh, uh, we had a, a company, they were, there was an acting lieutenant. They were very young, very inexperienced. The, the fire had advanced heavily on us. We were pulling out, and we pulled back off the third floor for a minute to regroup. And when we went to go back up, I had let a couple members of our rescue company uh, go up. And these were some of the guys I, I used to be on the company with. Uh, one of the guys, Jimmy Doolin, he's our senior guy on our rescue. So, you know, he's like, hey, we're going to take the line. We're going to go up. I'm like, yeah, go. 
And then uh, this company with the acting officer, they were going to go. I put my arm across the door, and I said, you, you can't go up there. And they were like, yeah, well, they let them go up there. I said, yeah, you're not them. I said, you know, I said, they're, they're a different company. They have, you know, we're not going to argue about this, but you're not going up there. And then just then uh, our tower ladder crew came around the corner. Again, a very experienced senior officer. And I pulled my arm back and they went up. And the other crew was like, you're not going to let us go up there? I'm like, no. I'm like, you know, the, the, what's going on up there? I want to make sure that the experience that's going up there can handle it. They're only a few feet from the top of the stairs. I don't need to choke the stairwell up with 20 people. And I just didn't feel comfortable with that crew going up that stairwell at that time. And that's a gut feeling that's based on experience. Correct. And, 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 so and knowing my that. members and knowing who yeah. was on the line that day and who wasn't. And, and again, there was no, you know, they had an acting lieutenant, so it's a firefighter acting up. It wasn't anything, you know, and, and now I would let them go up there. I mean, it's, it's been about a year and a half. And I can tell you that if that fire happened again, that same crew, I would have let them go up there now. So, and, and that's what you're, you're looking for. And, uh, you know, there's been a couple times, a couple jobs. Uh, we had one right along the railroad tracks where I went around front and I said to the battalion chief, hey, the, the rescue and the truck have been in that building. I, we haven't had a single window change over from fire to, to steam. You know, you got another two minutes and you got to pull the guys back because there's no water on the fire yet. Yeah. And, the you know, the rescue is above, above it searching. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's where they want to be. And they're, you know, probably downstairs cursing me out as it happens. But... Like I tell everybody all the time, we all have a job to do. This is the one thing I get to do. So just let me be happy and do it. Well, I mean, here's the <laughs> thing, too, right? It's, no. it's uh, the way you guys do it as such a forward position. It's a fantastic position for, for a guy like yourself with experience and, 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 uh, and so on. But it's also a very challenging and demanding position, too, because, one, you got to be positive in your forward thinking and your skill set and experience. But also, there's a tremendous burden put on you by everyone on the fire scene, but the incident commander is relying on you, right? That battalion chief or that deputy out in the street is putting a lot of faith in your reporting and your considerations of that fire ground. Oh, absolutely, and, and you got to have a good relationship. Well, that's, with them. Absolutely. And that's, you know, so that's one of the reasons why, the, you know, the safety officer is assigned to the battalion office. So in, in the morning after I check my gear and I'm walking up to my office, that's my first stop. Go and yeah. see the chief, talk to him right. for a little bit. Uh, you know, again, back to our underlying encircled word of communication. Right. You know, th you, you want to have that open communication ahead of time, you know, before something happens and you're trying to figure it out in the middle of the street somewhere. Yeah, it's nice, too, to know when you work with the same chiefs and, and the same safety bosses all the time, a lot of the message is conveyed through emotion and, and facial expression. Oh, absolutely. And, and not through word, right? They'll, they'll feel that stress or see that stress on your face. Or, or that sense of ease on your face and, and, you know, and so on, just based upon what's going on. And that, that's, those are those verbal cues or nonverbal cues that are super important. Correct. I'm, and I, it's funny because I could, I could tell you the, the master of that was Chief Thode. He, yeah. he gave you a look and it shot right through you. You know, you knew. <laughs> he gives me know, that look all the yeah, time. I saw him, that, yeah. saw him not too long ago and he gave me that look, you know. You, you, you would get that look from him and, and you would know. You know, yes or no, if everything was going well, if it, if it wasn't going well, you you yeah. definitely know that. Yeah. But it, it is, and it's it's a very unique position. I mean, to be on shift in the firehouse and, and to be able to respond on what you want and to be able to, to help out. There are some downsides to the job. You're in charge of rehab. So uh, I feel like a bar back some days where you're just, you yeah. know, lugging coolers around. Well, I'll just be proud uh, of the Kool-Aid you put out. That's, that's right. That's you know, it. it's... it's uh, <laughs> You know, the, I, I, I joke with the guys a lot. I tell them we have levels. You know, it's got to be a, if 
You got extrication. You can't get cold water. You got you get the warm water that's in the car. It's got to be a fire before you get, you know, cold water. That's and right. if it if it's got to be a two alarm fire before I let you get the Pedialyte to dip in the to yeah, to put. Are, yeah, you, there's got to be man. right. There's got to be rules. You can't just let them keep taking water. It's I mean, oil. no, no. It's yeah. Oil. Yeah. You know, we had an old timer that said, "Never give the men what they want." You know, that was <laughs> one of the old timers used to yeah, say yeah, that all yeah. the time. But it, yeah. it's it, it is it's a it's a great position. I was. You know, real lucky. I, I fell into it because of my EMS background. I was the only EMS instructor in the department for a few years. So I had to do all the EMS training for the department. And uh, that allowed me, They th it was a natural position for me to go to when I made lieutenant because I would be able to, to, to work both jobs, if you will. So I, I looked out, and again, it was, you know, Chief Thode asked me if it's a spot I'd want to go. I said, nice. sure, and, and ended up there. Is it a sought-after position? I, uh, you know, we haven't really had an opening in a while, but I, is it I, promotional it is. or is it? No, no, just, it's, it's, it's assigned there. It's assigned there. Yeah. And I, I, I do think it's sought after. And especially I can tell you because of the overtime that's there, whenever one of us is off, everybody wants to work there. Got it. And, uh, and there are, you know, there, there's the four of us together. We, we have a good little team of us, uh, you know, uh, Billy's kind of like the, the, the dad of the group. You know, he kind of keeps us all in line, and he's very straight by the book. Josh is technical, and then Scott and I are like the two kids that they got to constantly reel back in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that. so it, it's a good crew. You know, something else I was thinking about that position, too, and you, you said it before when you were talking about uh, knowing and understanding the experience of your companies and then also the fact that you bounce around at the beginning of your tour to the different houses to see what training's going on and to maybe jump in. That is that taking initiative position that is so critical for forward-thinking firefighters and officers in our department because where, I, where I'm headed with that is that you take it upon yourself to know intimately each company, the skill levels, the skill levels of the officers and the bosses of each house, right, so that you have an understanding that you know if uh, five, one, six, and 4, ladders 3 and 4 – are on the box, you already know what lineup you're getting because you're dialed into your morning tour. You're dialed into your job that much. I mean, this is not a position, uh, or it should not be a position, back to what Rob was saying, that has become, you know, the, the guy going out the pasture, let's put him in a safety officer Correct. spot. I mean, this is a, a super proactive and aggressive position that takes initiative from the individual itself. Yeah, and, and I think, the again, the other unique thing about our position is we paid for that position in blood. Yeah. I, I mean, I like and, and it really, you know, uh, when Mitch and Steve died, I mean, that that fire was a run-of-the-mill, you know, for our part of the country and our part of the world, that, that was a nothing fire. And to, to, to go up into that third floor and not have a wisp of smoke in there and be as clear as it is right now, and then to, to eventually, you know, lose the guys in there, it, it was tremendous. And, and we, you know, fought hard for that position. Uh, it, it was actually, at the time, our, our upper administration wasn't very cooperative with the firefighters. Right. The union and the mayor wanted the safety officer. The fire chief did not. They wanted to keep everything status quo. That sounds backwards, huh? It, right. You know, wow. it, it, was a, and it was a fight. And, and you know, and I, I think because of that, the, the four of us that are in that position, you know, we take that responsibility extremely seriously. Yeah. And I, I've, you know, in both jobs, I've been criticized a little bit for being too serious sometimes. And I, I, I say, yeah, but this is a serious business and serious things happen and, and it's all fun and games till it's not. And when you're on the receiving end of it's not, it, it does change you and it does, you know, make you rethink of how you're doing things. Well, yeah. those, those of us who have gone through line of duty deaths, whether we've known somebody personally, it's a friend or a coworker, 
Like it changes your outlook 150% on how the responsibilities are going to be doled out from that moment forward. Oh, yeah. It's not going to happen here, Rob. Yeah. It doesn't happen here. (laughs) We're not going to have those problems. We're not going to have that happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, the anniversary was July 24th, 2010. So the anniversary was uh, just a couple weeks ago. And and every year in Bridgeport, they do a, a ceremony and, uh, you know, the training in July, usually review the NIOSH report, the state police report and all that. And I, I, I don't know what made me do it. I was in work one night. I was kind of bored. It was late. And I took out the roster. And, you know, uh, we're about 300, roughly around 300 uh, members. And, and less than half of us are, that were on the job when that happened. And there's less than 20 of us now that were actually at the fire. You know, that, that. and it, it's like you, we talk about what a profound change that fire had on our job. But, the, the, you know, more than half of us are, weren't even on the job when that happened now. And again, it's only been 12, you know, 12 years. So it's just, it's amazing how much it changed the job uh, and, and some for the better, some for the worse, but it, it's just, there's that little bit of a divide of the guys that were there when it, before it happened and the guys that were there after it happened. So, but I mean, for you guys, keeping their legacy alive, their sacrifice alive, right? Right. And sharing that with the next generation and, and for, um, you know, to be a boss as you are and, to be able to filter around to the different companies and talk about safety, talk about training. You know, those are, you have and are empowered to share that message, share that experience, right? Correct. And, it, and it, it's rough. I mean, it is, you know, it's obviously something you, you don't like to talk about a lot. You, sure. it, it does, it, it does mess with you. And, yeah. and, you know, but it's just, you, you want people to understand it, you know, it's all fun and games till it's not. And that, that fire was, a, it was a run of the mill. It wasn't like, you know, a, a, a warehouse fire or a big commercial building. It was a two and a half wood with one window show and when the first engine got there. Wow. And it, it, it got away from us. It got into the knee walls. It got into the attic. And, and it, you know, and I, I just, that's the thing that when we pulled up, uh, so for those of you who don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't I, know if you wanted to So for those of you who this. don't know the, the, yeah, the story, and I apologize for, no, for jumping ahead. Please, and then coming back. If you're willing to talk about it, it please. was It was uh, a couple of the oddities where it was, a, you know, two and a half wood. It had a third floor apartment. The first new engine was responding to an elevator call, and it was two blocks from the watch desk at the Wood Ave Firehouse. You could see the house. Yeah. So they got dispatched on a person stuck in an elevator, engine three. They got in. They pulled out of the firehouse. Holy crap, there's two windows showing fire. So they put a box in. When we got there at the time, I was, that's when I was assigned to the heavy rescue. When we got there, the fire was knocked down. I, I, we, we were walking up to the building. I looked at the building. I said, we're, we're going to be out of here in 10 minutes. I mean, we're... You know, we're probably not even going to do anything. Single line push. Yeah, it looked, you know, yeah. it was it right. was again, it was a basic fire for right. us. And uh, the the first new nozzle firefighter broke their ankle. They they had a little bit of a entanglement with their backup firefighter on the stairs, and he he snapped his ankle. And he was sitting on the front porch with his ankle, you know, in his hand. And we helped him up. We put him. We carried him off the front porch. Uh, my partner Tommy and I. We went in. We went above. We were the you know floor above team. And, and like I said earlier, it was as clear as clear could be yeah. in this room right now in there. The floor above. The floor so above. The third That's floor. the third floor. It was, yeah. it was crystal clear in there. And we, we noticed some heat in the knee wall in the front of the room, and there was a little bit of smoke coming out around one of the electrical outlets. And it rapidly deteriorated. And, um, you know, Ladder 11 came up there, and, and uh, Lieutenant Velasquez, he, he, you know, hands down, one of the most respected officers on our job. When he walked, when, when it was getting bad and we were getting lower and heading back towards the stairs and I bumped into him, I said to myself, oh, thank God he's here. 
Yeah. You know, like like it's one of the guys want to say. Right. Like, you know, like you can make the analogy. It was like, you know, we're down by two in the bottom of the ninth and Jeter's walking up to the plate. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. how you felt. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you know, so seeing him, I, I immediately felt better. Uh, his crew, Mitch, uh, Firefighter Bake, Mitch was in my academy class. He sat right in front of me. Uh, he was the oldest member of our class, so which made him the de facto. We we all called him Grandpa, but yeah, he was go. our our you know our class conscience, if you will. And uh, by that point, we were coming down to change bottles, and it was minutes. You know, we we came down the stairs, we looked at a couple of conditions, we went down to go change bottles, and and that's when they called the mayday, and we missed it by you know by minutes when you take the timestamp. It went from crystal clear, no problem, to you know a double mayday. And so uh, just to just to inquire a little bit, because um, I don't know all the details. Yep. I, I am a little familiar with it. And Chief Thode uh, gave us a, a, a nice conversation about it and, and storytelling when we were up in Bridgeport and got a nice tour of the city and so on. Um, but fire t- fire conditions obviously rap- rapidly deteriorated, yeah. especially with knee wall fires, yep. things like that. Is that what happened? They just got overtaken? Uh, I mean, I, to, you know, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, we were... We came down to change bottles, and I can tell you that we, we came down. We were coming out of the front of the building. The officer in the original fire room said, hey, I think it's, it's burning pretty good going up the walls. Yeah. And we ducked into that room just to, with we had tools to open up, and we opened a couple things up. We tried to make radio contact with Ladder 11. They didn't answer. We said, you know what, we got to go change our bottles because we got to get back up there. And when we came down the stairs, that's when uh, uh, Lieutenant Mohammed, Sam Mohammed, he's a firefighter back then, he called the mayday for lieutenant. He had found Lieutenant Velasco was unconscious, so it, it was a matter of minutes from when we left them to the the maydays happened. Wow. And, and you know, uh, it, it's a blur sometimes. It, yeah. I, I could tell you that, you know, it, it, it was chaotic. It was it was you know, uh, Lieutenant Velasquez was removed first. We uh, for a few minutes, maybe whatever it seemed like, we didn't know that that Mitch was down up there. We just knew that Lieutenant Velasquez was down. So it was one of those, like, they, we pulled out Lieutenant Velasquez. We started working on him. They did a par. And the, the problem being that the Ladder 11 officer was the guy down, so nobody answered for Ladder 11. And it wasn't until the rest of the Ladder 11 crew realized that their officer was down. They didn't know where the firefighter was, where Mitch was. So, you know, fog of war, very chaotic. I, I could say you could never set up a training scenario. You could never set anything up to simulate yeah. that. Right. You know, because the the emotion, the, the the you know, and again, it was this time of year. It was 102 that day. It was hot as could be and humid as could be. So that played a factor into it. And and you know, fatigue. We were we were changing bottles to go back sure. in and all that stuff. Sure. So it, it it was. It's every bit of the nightmare that you think it is, and, and more and more. Yeah, and and you can't prepare. You can't mentally prepare for when it actually happens. As much as we train and as much as we're ready, you know, and especially when you add the fact that. You know, you, you, we all, I mean, most jobs, you know, everybody, Yeah. you know, it's not like it's yeah, a, a r- right. Enough. You know, it's not like yeah. it's a nameless guy or like, Hey, I don't know that guy or my cousin's cousin might know him, but you know, it's guys that you were joking around with 15 minutes earlier yeah. and, and you know, th- that's it. And the, the, you know, I'll tell you that the department, uh, the way that the, the department treated us w- was probably one of the most, I, I'd say criminal things that I, they, they made the entire crew that was at the fire go back to headquarters, and they sequestered us till the wee hours of the morning. We were, we were locked in a room at fire headquarters till well after midnight, uh, and they kept telling us we had to wait for the fire investigators. We couldn't go home. And, uh, like, the, 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 uh, the covering fire companies were, st- were sending food up and, and, oh my God. and bringing, you know, 
and it was, w- was this because they didn't know how to react? I, I think that they were they were so uh, the, you know the at the time the department management was so unprepared for something like this and under that they didn't know what to do. And then finally, you know, well after midnight, the group of fire marshals walked in and, and they were horrified. You know that we were there. Yeah. And and it was you know just go home. We'll talk to you later. But it 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 wasn't as traumatic as the event was. The follow-up was even worse. You know, the, the, the way that the department handled it, you know, they, I, I hope, God forbid, if something like that happened, we would do it better next time. Yeah. I mean, it. Yeah. I, you know, this, these are those times where management, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of times we, we complain about management, but, man, when, when we need to be taken care of and we need to take care of our own and the management fails us. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if it's a policy or or something that is, uh, you know, uh, something uh, on the everyday yeah. operation. Vacation day canceled. Right, right, yeah, it's not, it's, that. It's not and it was like deal, we, we got out of there after 1 in the morning, and and there was question, are we coming back at 7 a.m. for our shift? <laughs> My God. You know, and, and it was like, n- n- you know, the deputy chiefs that were there, nobody knew. They were like, oh, we got to find out for you. And a lot of the guys were like, I, I, I'm not going to be here at 7 a.m. Like, figure it out, you know. Well, I mean, you got to decompress, and then, you know, then you have to deal with what, what you personally have right. to deal with, which is just a whole nother you know, uh, conversation for sure. But I mean, uh, thank you for sharing that with us because I, I know we, we kind of alluded to it a few times and I know that that fire was very impactful for the city of Bridgeport and your fire department. And I think a lot of corrections were made from it too. No. Yeah. So yeah, we, you know, and again, like I said, the, that safety officer position, you know, we paid yeah. for those positions right. and, and that's the, the biggest lesson that I, I hope we never lose sight of is that all the, all the gains we made, we paid for it. I think that was one of the things that I was most impressed when Chief Thode took us around was getting down to the firehouse to see the memorial and the sea. Yeah. How dedicated the members were to making sure that we didn't forget those two gentlemen from that day. And, and, and it was just get the, getting the chance to talk to them and see the work that they put in there. Just, right. You know, it was just crazy. So, so now we brought the mood down to the floor. Yeah, listen, <laughs> you know, I mean, we never know. We never know when we sit down with our guests really how it's going to go. Oh, right? absolutely, it's, it's I, unscripted. Yeah. And but what I what I take away from this is one, your willingness to share because it can't be an easy story for you to relive. And um, you know, we've done some interviews now and some podcasts with guests that have really were willing to open themselves up. So I, I truly appreciate you having that conversation with us and educating us and the listeners about it because, frankly. People need to go and read and learn about it, too. NIOSH reports, right, and, and so on. You need to educate yourselves about line-of-duty deaths. Um, you need to educate yourself about how departments responded and, and how they took care of their own. And obviously, you know, it sounds like you guys um, hopefully uh, learned uh, several lessons from there that paying it forward, forward. will we'll yeah. take care of your guys um, if, God forbid, it ever happens again. But I think it should be said that it can happen again. Absolutely, and I—, I you know, and, and it can happen anywhere. That's I mean, that's right. the the biggest right. thing is it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, it it doesn't. Yeah. So let's let's kind of change course a little bit. Like <laughs> you said, we'll, we'll we'll change it up a little bit. You have a lot of other things you enjoy too. I know you teach. You have a a, a class that you're going to be teaching, and I know you're very excited about the volunteer command post. Yes. Um, uh, you were talking about your volunteer service and how and uh, how passionate you are about it. Um, talk to me about what uh, what you've done. So we. You know, right off the bat, one of the things I noticed when I it, being involved in Bridgeport and involved in the, the you know, the was an officer there. When there's a fire, we, we run it with a command staff. There's a chief, an aide, deputies right. come, a lot of. It, and then you go to a fire in Derby and it's like the chief by himself, like with a radio. Maybe he's got a clipboard. And I, I said, you know, there's got to be 
a better way to do this. So we, we started thinking, um, how can we make this better? And, and especially in a volunteer department. And I, I came up with the, you know, my, my class line I always use now is like, what do I do with my father? And what I mean by that is, you know, my father joined the volunteer fire department, like I said, in 1975. Um, he was a fireman. He was a police officer. He was an EMS officer. He, he worked for the state for emergency services for Connecticut for years. He's got this tremendous wealth of knowledge of incident command, of, of all these different facets. But because my dad's now 65 and older, he can't physically go into a fire. He can't, you know, but they all still come, right? Volunteer firefighters, how many times you go to a fire, you turn around, and there's 10 old guys that are all there. And I said, you know what? Those are the guys we need here. So we, we created a chief's aid position. And, and what we do now is we take the older guys and we put them through this class and we teach them how to run a command post and how to, you know, handle things so that the fire chief, the incident commander, could concentrate on the fire and they could handle, you know, it's a volunteer fire department. So that you know the dispatchers are calling and asking, you know, hey, what firehouse do you want to cover you? Do you guys need Red Cross? What do you... You know, you, you don't want to be dealing with all that when you got guys at an IDLH and, and let somebody else handle it. So we've created this, this command staff idea. And, and, again, our biggest asset are, I hate to say our old guys, sound bad, make them feel old, but, no, but it, it's no, right. the experienced guys. Right, Give right. them something to do. So uh, I, I started thinking about it, and I put a, a training program together. And uh, every year in, in Connecticut we have a, an EMS conference, which sounds funny. But they've transitioned over from uh, there's the EMS conference and a fire conference now. And the fire conference started a couple of years ago. They they're started adding more and more fire classes, and, and it's the last uh, weekend in October every year at the Foxwoods Casino. So I, I wrote up my program, and I submitted it, and I was one of the, the presenters selected. So I'll be giving my you know first class on, on volunteer command posts and running a, an incident. Because I, I do feel that out of all my years in the fire service, probably the least – trained group is that volunteer fire chief because you're facilitating the training for the members you're facilitating the training for your officers you know when, when do the four or five or however many chiefs you have in your department sit down and, and do training 100 percent. you know you know and, and and even for myself like i want to come to your class because the as as a career officer and a small department my first major incident that i ran was a commercial junkyard fire and the chief and the command staff were out of town. So per New York state law, I was the acting fire chief. Winner. And if it wasn't for Dan Nichols and his father being there, I, because I, I remember I was going back to the cab of the fire engine because I was going to say, take me home. <laughs> no, but like, because it was the only environment that I would be able to have a quiet yeah. environment to talk on the radio without everybody coming up to me and grabbing me. And he showed up with his chief's buggy and he was like, hey, come to the back here. This is coming, and they started getting my radio set up, and he's like, what do you need? Right. I'm here to help you out. And, and it is. A lot of times it's that, you know, I said there's been a couple times where I've had to, you know, grab one of my guys or grab one of a neighboring town and be like, okay, you need to set up command. Like, let's, let's do this, and we'll do it together. And we'll, you know, having a bodyguard, having yeah. somebody there to, to stop every, you know, the old saying, Tom, Dick, and Harry from coming up to talk to you because, hey, there's a fire, and you're the fire chief, and they want to say they talk to you. You know, and, and again, that's another thing I've, I've, you know, running an incident, I'll say, hey, do me a favor. Don't let, it, you know, take this radio, talk to dispatch. Let me talk to the guys in the fire. But if anyone starts coming up to me, stop them and make sure that they need me before you. And, I, you know, again, you got to find somebody big. You got to find someone burly that could, you know, step in front and, and say, hold on, you know, what do you need? Because it, it is, 
You, as the incident commander, your focus should be on what's going on in that building. And the distractions are so many, and the people want to talk to you. And dispatch wants to call you, you know, 30 times and ask you questions. You've got to be grounded because, you, you know, that's where you'll miss uh, an urgent or a mayday or something. And you don't want to be the guy that missed it because, you know, hey, uh, the Red Cross called. They wanted to know where would you like them to meet you. You want them to boost right. the water pressure? Yeah, you know, like you, you don't – like I don't care <laughs> – you know, for us, mutual aid is tricky. You know, the, the valley, the area that Derby's in, we're small cities that, that run in conjunction with each other. So even though my initial run card might be this yeah. and my second alarm card might be that, my second alarm card might have been my first new company. So now the dispatcher's calling you saying, like, okay, well, do you want Engine 5 from Ansonia to come cover or Engine 3? I don't care. I don't yeah, want to, you know, right, yeah. I don't want to talk to you. But we, let. Yeah, we, we years ago instituted here that any mutual aid chief responding in on a job comes to work and those mutual aid chiefs report to the command post scba on ready to go to work and we'll divvy out positions whether it's a divisional position inside yep safety officer role or we say break down your stuff but i need you here at the command post and you're gonna you're gonna run the the response channel yeah it, and I'm, I'm monitoring the operations channel or vice versa and then you know, so what we've come to realize, too, and, and what we even need to realize more in the volunteer fire service now is chiefs need to come to work. Like, we can't forget that fire chiefs are firefighters. So I don't give a shit what color your helmet is. If I need you on a line and we have enough of the white hats floating around, like, I might put you to work, not in a command role. Sorry, buddy. But, like, get back to re being a fireman. Right. Like, I need you on the line. But it is absolutely important to take care of your resources and have people there because the amount of jobs and the, the more you could automate and simplify the process, meaning structured alarm assignments, structured run cards, right? I know yep. you said your area is a little bit challenging, how, yep. how you get your automatic aid and so on. But, like, those are things like standardized communication, standardized terminology, standardized, um, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? So what we did here many years ago in our area is we've standardized almost everything across the board so that if my chief of department or, or our assistant chief who runs the operations division, if our assistant chief shows up and a mutual aid chief of department shows up, we don't care anymore about where you come from. We expect you to have the same training and experience that our guys have. And so we might take your chief of department and put him in command of this fire. My our assistant chief is the operations boss. We don't care anymore right. about what, what town or where you're from. We can't play those games anymore. I remember years ago, you'd roll up as a chief to a town three towns over for a mutual aid job, and they have a lieutenant running the fire, and he won't give you command. I'm like, this is the most asinine <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, Plus, me, I'd rather be a fireman anyway than right. sitting at the back of a buggy or, or command vehicle and... You know, barking on the radio and Jeremy and his fingers. blue cards over here. Yeah, we don't even know. I'll be honest with you, Rob. I didn't even know what blue cards were until like two years ago when it came up in a conversation with all of our friend group. And I, I had to look it up. I yeah. have no idea what the fuck the blue card was. I, I understand no why Mo hates it so much. <laughs> it is so stupid. stupid. Oh my god, that's a whole other story. So anyway. this class is going to be a pretty. It sounds like it's going to be a home run. I, I'm I'm hoping. I mean, you know, to be honest, you know, I'm a little nervous. I've never done anything like this, so. Uh, you're not having a hard know. time speaking. No, I no, I you mean, that. I, yeah. I, can, gonna... I was going to say, I know, you know, no <laughs> one has ever accused me of, of not talking. And uh... Brother, you got passion. Yeah. You got excitement in your voice, and that's contagious, and we need that. We need guys to stand in front of the room. We need guys to be passionate about the volunteer fire service. When everybody says everything's so bad right now, we need guys like you that are saying, no, it's still good. It's yeah, still it's... good. And, it, and, it's, and it's because of the group. I mean, my, my neighboring chiefs were I'm, – I'm, 
very good friends with all of them. We, we, we talk a lot. My, you know, my chiefs, my company officers. It, again, back to the big circle word, communication. Yeah. And it, it really, it is. It, and it, it takes us sometimes a few minutes to get traction, but, you know, we're, we're a good group. And, and I think, you know, in our little area of the world, the, you know, we call it the Valley. So they said it's Derby yeah. and Sonia, Seymour, Shell, and right. those towns all together. You know, we're, we're, we're a typical family. You know, we're, we'll fight with each other, but don't fight with us. You know, like. I get, no, I totally <laughs> get it. I, I totally get it. We're very much the same way here, yeah. too. And we have very proud roots in, in our volunteer service. And we have excellent working relationships with our mutual aid partners. Yep. And Rob has seen it firsthand. I mean, we, you know, it's our second due truck comes from the same town. We have a second due truck. They know any confirmed fire, they're coming. They're there before they're even dispatched because they know. They know. Coming, yeah. Yep. Right. That to me as a boss or as somebody in charge of a fire scene takes one stress level off me. Yeah. You know, so that's why it's important. Consistency. Right. Yeah. And so on is very important. So, well, good luck with your course. You, Where yeah. are you going to be doing it? Uh, it's at the Foxwood Casino in, uh, I think it's Ledyard, Connecticut. Foxwood. Okay. Yeah. that's what? In October, right? October 29th. And that's the. The Volunteer Fire Command Pro Post. That's it. Yeah. Fire Pro Expo. That's cool. And so. more information, I'm sure you'll find it online and so on. So what? Um, what's next, man? What's next uh, for, for Dave? I don't know. I I mean my uh. So in Derby, you're only allowed to be a chief for eight years. So my my term expires, uh, January fifth. So. That's my birthday. Is it? All right. So that, yeah, I'll I'll, t I'll send you a text. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, uh, my my chiefdom will be done. Uh, you know, so time back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I can put the phone down. I, I again, I, you know, the, the commitment, small town volunteer fire chief, your phone rings off the hook and it's, it's everybody, you know, it's, it's every issue. Yesterday was election day. It was too hot in the gym auditorium that they were doing the election, the primary elections in, and they wanted to know if the fire department could bring over some of the big fans that blow the smoke around to put in the, you know, small town, baby. small towns. And that's the, the, the crap you deal with. Yeah. So, so I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I, you know, I mean, fortunately, obviously, I'm, I'll still be uh, in Bridgeport, and I'll still, yeah. I'll still be there. But yeah. I, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, listen, sometimes you need a little bit of time to yeah, figure things yeah, out. Yeah, you know? take a take a year or two off. But I, I know you'll probably enjoy getting in that back seat again. Yes, I'm looking. I'm you know? looking so forward to being able to sit in the back of the room Riding and complain. Backwards, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great, though. That's so much fun. I wanted to ask you this too, right? You, you talked about your family and yep. your upbringing and, and the lineage and so on. But and you you named a lot of gentlemen before that you remember growing yep. up with and, and were valuable. But to be um, to be a leader, to be a senior man, to be somebody that you want to emulate, right? Somebody in the firehouse that you just look at and go, man, I hope my career is half as good as this guy, or I hope my demeanor, I carry myself, you know, in in some regard the same way that gentleman did or or that woman did. What maybe just. We have a lot of younger viewers that always ask us about that, you know, and, and so on. And so what were some things that you, as growing up in the firehouse, outside of your family members, because I know, you know, you, you lived it, but, like, some of those people in your firehouse that had some of those traits and qualities that probably fueled your passion even more so, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and the funny thing is a lot of it was, uh, you know, j just their, their confident, calm demeanor. You know, there, there are, there are, you know, there are plenty of guys out there. They're, they're senior, you know, gentleman, lady that they're again, like we said before, it may just be a look. It may be just a nod, you know, it, it, it but it's that confidence behind it, that faith that you have in them, that they know what they're doing. And, and to me, that says a lot, you know, it's one of those, the less you say, the more you say type yeah, situations. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and, 
But and most it, people don't believe in that anymore. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it's an old school, new school thing. I mean, uh, you know, what, one, of our, one of my favorite stories about my grandfather was right when he became assistant fire chief. You know, back then, the firehouses were largely uh, segregated either by religion, by... So my firehouse, we were always Irish Catholic. The uh, Pegasus firehouse, they were uh, Polish firehouse. So uh, that's the firehouse you mentioned earlier. They're, they're right next to the Polish church. That neighborhood is, is yes. you know... Uh, so the, they have the ladder truck. So my grandfather becomes assistant fire chief. They get a phone call. A lady, her clothes blew off the clothesline on some power lines. Could the fire department come help? So my grandfather said, yeah, he called over to the Pegasus Firehouse and said, hey, can you t take the truck over and just go help the lady out? So they went. And in the interim, a box came in. And the, the, everyone got to the firehouse. The truck was gone. This is obviously pre-radio or pager days. So nobody knew where the truck was. So the chief from that firehouse calls up my grandfather and says, hey, look, if you ever tell my ladder where to go again, I'll knock your teeth out. <laughs> so my grandfather said to him, well, why don't you come down here and tell me that? Right. So the guy jumped in his car, and, and at the time, the, f the firehouse was located right next to the city green. So he said he picked up the phone, the still phone, to the police and said, hey, the other chief and I are going to go have a discussion on the green if you get any calls. So they said about 10 minutes later, my grandfather came walking back into the firehouse. He was beat up, shirt ripped up. They says, my God, Eddie, beat the crap out of you. He said he shook his head and said, you better go pick him up. He's unconscious on the green. Oh, and he said, to, after that, I never had a problem. He said, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, he said, after that, I never had a problem. Nobody ever questioned what I was doing. Or <laughs> Baddest son so, of a bitch yeah. in a fire so, department, it's like, right? Like you said earlier, yeah. you know, years ago, guys had a problem. They went out back in the firehouse but and took care of it. There is something to that. <laughs> there is something to that, man. Oh my God! I so, love that yeah, story. It's, That's amazing. It's, you know, and I, I, you know, I can tell you, there's, there's a lot of them like that. Yeah. But he was the, you know, the, the little fiery Irish guy, and he, he just, you know. But what that, like that, to me, I mean, not even being involved in that, but you're part of that family. <laughs> you're part of that storytelling. I mean, I would love to hear you tell that story today to the new kids that come in the firehouse. <laughs> you know, it's one of those nights you're sitting around front bumper talk after a run or something, and you're like. You want to hear a great you story? Hear a great, yeah. I mean, that one sets the tone, but it also paints and educates uh, it in, in such a broad stroke about how important we, you know, we're, we're proud of ourselves, we're proud of our institution, we're proud of our values, and we're going to stand up for that. Yeah, and, and our, you know, I tell a lot of Love people, it. I say, look, our, our little town is run down. I mean, it's, it's going through a rough patch. We, uh, we were talking earlier, they're trying to redevelop it. There's a lot of negativity involving our little city. And, and I always say that the volunteer fire department's one of the, the few bright parts. It's you the know, center of the it, community. It, it is. Hands it, down. It, Main Street, USA. You know, it, it does. And the, the members do a tremendous job. They're out there, you know. The, the track team needs money to go to, to, to a national meet. They're there. The cheerleaders need money. The firemen are there. You know, somebody's sick. The firemen are there. It, it's, it's the one branch of government that is coming all the time, and it's coming to help you. Yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, I joke all the time. My dad was a cop. He told us, don't be a cop. He says, you've never been to a party and had someone go, oh, great, the cops are here. You know, <laughs> so, right. So My, it, my it, line, I always say, nobody looks in the rearview mirror and goes, oh, no, a fire engine's right. behind me. <laughs> So it, it is, it, it's, it's one of the few bright, shining parts of our communities are our volunteer firehouses. And I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people still don't even know. I can't tell you how many times we go on a call and somebody's like, oh, my God, you guys are volunteer. Oh, I, yeah, I know And that. it's like, that. It, it's one of those things that, yes, it's hurting. Yes, it's, it's numbers are dwindling. But its importance nowadays is, is, is ever more there. And, and the communities don't, I think, realize what they have until they lose it. Yeah. I'm with you, and, and if your department has half the passion that you have, right, 
um, you guys are in a good spot. I mean, I know with our department, we're losing members left and right just because it's not sustainable. And right. kids are moving out, going to college, not coming back home. It's, you know, it's a it's a suburban community to a major city. So we're, we're having our, our struggles. But the guys that are there have been the guys. And, and you got guys, myself, 27 years. And we're the guys that are still holding the place together. And the, the other guys come and go, but we're still there. And the staple's still there. So I agree with you, man. I, I think we're, we're, on a, we're on a difficult trend in the volunteer fire service, but there's still a lot of good. Yes, absolutely. Happening. Yeah. For sure. So listen, I know you have a side project as well because we're going to start to wrap. So uh, let's talk about your other love. <laughs> I want to talk about this real quick because okay. I know it's important to you. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of guys out there that are like you. Uh, and, and you follow through on, on another passion of yours outside of firefighting. I, I do, yeah. So like like you guys, I have a small podcast. Love it. Uh, it's a lot smaller than this. I mean, I, I walked in today. I was, I was you know, kind of floored with all the equipment you have. But I it's only for looks, Dave. It's We're a- not very talented. <laughs> we don't even know how to use half this equipment. Yeah, it it's, it's very fancy. Wires yeah, going right? into nowhere. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> co-host a podcast about, you know, the, the Disney bubble, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel. It's awesome. Uh, called Two Dudes Talking Disney. Uh, my friend Tony and I, we started it six years ago. Good for you. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's something. We, we try to put out a content like once a week or a yeah, couple weeks great. just to, you know, updates on Disney, on Star Wars, on Marvel, what's going on, what's new in the parks, what's new with the companies. And and it's it's just something that, you know, for fun. It is. It's great to have a passion outside of the firehouse. Yeah, it keeps us sane. You it know, does. it does. <laughs> it certainly does. But it's fun, though, too. And, and, and you know, six years ago. I mean, that's ahead of the curve. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, as I, I've, I've said before, we jokingly say we're the largest Disney podcast in the lower Naugatuck Valley in Connecticut, which, you know, we're the only ones, but <laughs> that's all right. uh, still we're the still largest. the largest, you know, and I, I think our, our three loyal listeners, uh, the, 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 my favorite thing is, I'm, I'm sure you guys, when you started out, like you used to pull and see where you were being downloaded. Right. And like we were real big in Saudi Arabia, there was like seven dedicated followers, and I, I could have, I said, then I started getting worried. Like, is somebody hiding a message in our podcast? Oh, and that, or, <laughs> or maybe it's just your family members serving overseas, yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, that's cool, man. Well, congratulations. What is it called? Where? What is it called? And where can two, they find uh, it? Two dudes talking Disney. We're on iTunes, uh, and then social media. Two dudes talking Disney. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. Dave. Thank you, man. Thank that's, you. That's yeah. very cool. Um, anything for us, man? Any anything? Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna wrap the, the conversation. No, I, I I I'm, thank you. I mean, this was a lot. You know, again, uh, Chief Thode and uh, and Nick Esposito. They they said to me, "You'll have a good time." And so yeah, uh, Chief Thode. Just on a side note, uh, Chief Thode and Nick Esposito both uh, out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, Nick is captain. Yes, captain uh, of the rescue company right now. Rescue company, and uh, Chief Thode is retired out of Bridgeport and is now as a, a career chief elsewhere. In Connecticut, but um, you Denver, know they've right? become friends. Yeah. They've become friends of ours, and uh, they were both on the show. And it was quite a while ago. I'd love to get them back. I'm trying to do some new stuff with Nick. And uh, Chief Thode is always uh, a phone call or a text for me. I love that. Yeah, guy. he's they're, they're they're good guys. They've you know they've helped my career. They've helped me, you know, numerous times. I, uh, you know, Nick, I I. I love because I think sometimes I, I ying to his yang. He's so serious, yeah. and I he is, he is, yeah. And I, you know, I every time he posts it online, I throw. I started calling him the Fire Yoda, and we actually <laughs> took a picture of him and him in his gear, and we we superimposed Yoda over it. And then every time he posts something or does something, I throw that right on as a comment. That's awesome. And like I know even his kids like that. What's up with that guy that always puts the the Fire Yoda thing on? You know. 
So if he if he does a podcast somewhere, I'll usually troll him. Well, now I know, right? Now I know because I've seen that before. Yeah, and now I know where it's coming from. And what I find the what I love about Nick is he's one of the most humble, you know, people you'll you'll ever meet for sure. And for like the thought of him like sitting down with an Instagram page, you know, to me is just like mind blowing because I I just you know I I I don't see him like that. I see him and his very calm, you know. Sure. You know, demeanor all the time, and, and it's just, yeah. You know what's amazing to me, though, is that somebody like him is willing to put the time in and see the value in being able to share a message on a channel and a location where people are paying attention. Oh, absolutely. And you know, he could spend time writing articles, and I'm sure he has, but you could do articles, and you could do this, and you could do that, but you're not hitting the people every single day with that type of content. Right. What Putting out short clips short notice short photo you know still photos give your insight on something the fact that he sees value in that i love because yeah he's not your typical you know instagram guy yeah no not at all (laughs) so that that to me though is why i think we're trending in the right direction with using social media to our benefit yes and educating our own through the channels of communication of today yeah absolutely i love it brother all right well thank you so much thank you guys for joining us and uh, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, find you, would you mind sharing your... Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at uh, volley underscore chief. Uh, you can find me there. How'd you do that? That's a, uh, that's a pretty good handle. It, it, you, I, were you early to the podcast? No, I just I, I literally started it about two months ago, and I decided to do the class. Wow. I said I should probably... Uh... <laughs> do you know what I am going to... We're going to take credit for the underscore, though, Rob. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> ta- I, I think our initial start with the underscore between our words... It carried on. There's a lot. Yes. Of, there's a lot of channels out there that you see on the score. So we're gonna we're gonna boldly claim that as ours. And thank you for ripping that off. No from problem. Us, but yeah, we're it's, glad it's, to share it's with part you. of the fire service, right? Just take somebody <laughs> else's. Yeah, right, yeah, hey, repackage I have this great it. idea. You yeah, know, right, yeah. yeah, reinventing the yeah. wheel. <laughs> it's my idea. So, well, Dave, thank you, brother. Thanks, Good luck with your new course. Yep. And uh, with your career, and this won't be the last time that we get together for sure. Good, good. So I appreciate you for joining us. Thank you. So. Thank you for coming Rob, on. Rob, thanks for sitting down again, pal. No, this is great. <laughs> it's good to be back. It is. Good. You were. You got a lot there, so thanks for – you got anything else? <laughs> no, just no, thanks that, for – that's it. Just <laughs> thanks. thanks for being here with yeah, us. Yeah, good. All right. For Rob Ridley, Jeremy Donch, and our, and our – uh, our guest today, Dave Lenart from uh, Derby, Connecticut, in Bridgeport, <laughs> Connecticut. Dave, thank you again, brother. Appreciate you. No Guys, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to follow, like, share, and tell everybody about us. And uh, two dudes. Talking Disney. Talking Disney. <laughs> talk soon. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you at the next one. Take care.